If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Maureen. Maureen's a bit of a trailblazer for all solo mums by choice. In fact, when she first conceived her daughter using donor sperm, it was illegal as a single woman in Victoria. She now has a son and a daughter. Can't wait for you to hear her story. So welcome to the podcast today, Maureen. Really excited to hear your story. And I thought we'd start off with what you went through to decide to become a solo mum by choice. So I always thought that a nice bloke could come along and I would take a traditional route. Yeah. And then what happened is before I knew it, I was 36, 37, and it hadn't happened. And I actually wanted a lot of children. I'm, I'm youngest of nine myself, oh, wow. and I know the joy that a big family brings. So I just thought that it would happen. But my mum always encouraged me to go to university and focus on my career and look after myself. And so I didn't, I wasn't out there looking for Prince Charming. And, you know, it, I, I dated some guys, but it just didn't, didn't work. So at about, I think it was about 37, I started to really uh, think about it. Mm-hmm. And I went to some information sessions and I, um, I didn't feel quite ready and I kept changing my mind I go yes I'll do it and then no I won't yes I will no I won't what will people think of me you know I come from a Catholic family what's my elderly mother going to think you know all this stuff was going around in my head yeah so what I did was I took myself off to South America as you do so I did five weeks with no phone no internet and I joined this tour with just another, you know, five other people. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time alone. And I hiked the Inca Trail up to Machu Picchu. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's just gorgeous. And I thought, right, I'm going to do some soul searching. By the end of this journey, I will know. Yeah. So uh, halfway up the mountain, um, I get hypothermia. And it's all very dramatic. So it's not um, hypothermia, it's hyper, where your temperature um, goes really, really high. And I was delirious. And um, the, the long story short is I could have died. Mm. 
So I had this Sherpa guy running with me, you know, down the mountain to the, you know, to get medical help. So it was all very, very dramatic. And I'm like, okay, um, this big thing has happened in my life. Um, surely I can make a decision around, you know, how important it is for me to, to have children. So by the end of the trip, I've decided, are you ready for this? Yeah. Not to have children on my own, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, I feel much lighter. I've made a decision. Like, I really don't want to do this on my own. So anyway, I get back to Melbourne and I used to play squash at the time. And a few days later, I was, um, you know, joined back with my team and was playing a squash game. And there's this woman filling in and she was really unassuming uh, really successful. She had about 15 investment properties and she met the man of her dreams at 40. Mm-hmm. And she said, I have one regret of my life and that is that I left it too late to have children. Mm. And something just switched. And then I'm like, oh, so I booked into the clinic the next day. <laughs> so adamant, you're not going to do this then? No. Two days later. Yeah. So my message to people is that the decision itself is a journey and don't be hard on yourself if you find it difficult to make. Mm. But just do what you need to do, Um, research, talk to people, whatever it is that you need, take take yourself off somewhere to be alone, whatever it is, um, but the answer will come to you. Yeah. I think I was a lot like you. I had... I'd made peace with the fact that I probably wouldn't be a mum and that it was more important to me that I met that other person and completed my family, even if it was just the two of us. The day my dad died, snap, no, I have to. Yeah. That's the most important thing. So completely. It's so weird the way that that happens. Yeah. And I'd also been um, sleeping with this guy and I, because I won't say it was a relationship because it was more, you know, go to his house, watch some TV and shag. And um, so I just, I'm like, I'm kidding myself if I think this is going to be anything more than what it is as well. Yeah. So I, I sort of went like, do I, is that what I want? No, I, you know, I really do want a child. Wow. Okay. So we made the appointment the next day and then what did you have to go through to, to get the gift? So um, I made an appointment and then I found out, because this was back in, Uh, about 2006 or seven, Mm -hmm. and it was actually illegal in Victoria um, as a single woman to have IVF Mm. uh, with a sperm donor. So um, I this was a little bit problematic, so I booked into... uh, on the Murray, on the border. I'm just trying to think of where it is. <laughs> um, My geography of Australia is terrible to <laughs> Anyway, it'll come to me. It'll, um, Albury. I booked Albury. into Albury. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I was all ready to go to Albury to have it done. So I'd, I'd booked my appointment and it was getting everything in order. Um, and then off to the side at the same time, uh, I decided to go to my naturopath and have a chat to her about getting my body ready. Mm-hmm. And she's she was really good, and she she specialises in in this particular area. 
So she then gave me, you know, did all these tests and gave me vitamins and whatever else. But she also said, I'm also running an information evening about going, you know, IVF and going through the process um, on fertility. And the head of Melbourne IVF is going to be there speaking. And he's, she said, would you be do- the door bitch and take the money for the evening when people coming in? And I go, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll help out. And it'll be really interesting for me anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so I did that. And then this head of Melbourne IVF was speaking and um, and then he was sitting, he'd finished and whatever, and I'd finished my duties at the door. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind having a chat to him. So I just went up to him and said, he was sitting down seated and I said, oh, can I buy you a beer? <laughs> he goes, yeah, sure. So I knew I'd have his undivided attention until he finished his beer. And um, I said, oh, I'm excited. I'm booked into Aubrey. And he goes, why don't you come to Melbourne IVF? And I said, but I can't because it's illegal. And he said, this is why I'm not mentioning any names. Yeah. And then he said, but if you were infertile, uh, medically infertile, you could do it. And I said, but I'm not. And he said, but if you were, you could. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, but I'm not. And he said, well, if you were going out with a guy who had children to a previous person and it had been over 12 months that you were trying with him, so you knew he could get somebody pregnant, then um, you would be considered infertile. And I said, but that's not my case. He goes, but if that was your case. <laughs> He's like, wink, wink, no, no, look at me. <laughs> so off I went. Um, so he said, oh, this is a good person to book into and that's what you might say if you if that was the case. So I went, oh, okay. So I cancelled <laughs> Aubrey and then I went booked into my Melbourne IVF and I sat there with this lovely doctor telling the story about how I'd gone out with this I was this guy and tried to have a child and couldn't and so therefore I was medically infertile yeah oh anyway it's no, for you guys listening now that's no longer the case you don't have to go through that um but so I just I jumped in really quickly and got the process happening really quickly and um, got pregnant really quickly. And what was it like selecting sperm at that time? Were there many options? So we had, I had five options. And I remember I've still got all the, the five, I've still kept the five options, the yeah. sheets. And I remember collecting them and then going, I was in Carlton and I went and sat in the park and I opened them up and I read the first one and I cried. Because he'd written, uh, it was like, message to the unborn child yeah and it was just so beautiful that you're 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 going to be loved and wanted and you're going to make a difference in the world and like your life is going to be amazing and he wrote this piece and I'm like oh I was howling (laughs) so then I looked at the the other four but I just couldn't get past this this one it just felt right and um, I find it's really interesting I've got a theory about who people choose Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear my theory? I do. I do. I think people choose from from the options you get the one that you would m- most likely go out with. Yeah. I reread um, Lexi's donor profile the other day and I was just like, I know that if I ever meet you, we're going to get on so well. He's gay, so obviously wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be able to date Did him, but I know that if we met because our values and his writing, everything is so aligned. And as I've read more, it's like even more like me. I'm like, yeah, no, it's going to be great. Yeah, and it's, it's about the values and the values came through in that statement. Mm. And also things that are important to me, you know, education, 
family, those sorts of things, he had those those things. And the other guys looked nice but just weren't really a good fit. And my friend who lived in the country and had a very different upbringing to me chose a country boy, a young country guy, you know. So I, I just think it's really interesting who you, who you choose. So, um, and I've, I've met him now. We, um, we catch up a few times a year. So he is lovely and I made a good choice. Great. Yeah. So I got pregnant very quickly, uh, but it didn't take, it didn't last. Even, so even though I was pregnant, they said, look, I, it's not very strong. I don't, we don't think it's going to be viable. Mm-hmm. So then you go through the emotions of dealing with that. So with that round, I had, uh, I, I was one person who had pretty good quality eggs, but not many. Mm-hmm. So I had four um, embryos. They put two in, one took and I had two frozen. And then round two, um, I did straight away. And I again, put two in um, and that's that did take, and I got my daughter with that um, that frozen um, embryo. And then we went on and had another one, didn't we? Yes, we did. So then I had um, my daughter Lana, who's now she's going to be fourteen um, in a few weeks. And um, I always knew that I wanted to go again, uh, and pretty quickly. Um, but it was quite traumatic because what happened was the doctor said, because I was 40, she was due on my 40th birthday mm-hmm. and um, I, she was a few weeks late. And so I knew I had to go again quickly. And so I spoke to the doctor and she just said, look, you, if you want to go again, you need to stop breastfeeding. Yeah. So that was a really hard decision for me because I had to stop breastfeeding at around 10, 10 and a half months, which is not the ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to wean a child that doesn't want to be weaned, like I did cry, um, but you just can't have the drugs in your system to pass on to the to the baby. So um, I did that and, and then I got pregnant straight away with um, the second. And so I'm like, yay, this is awesome. And the doctor's going, oh, you do this really well. Um, and then I lost that baby at about 11 weeks. So on Father's Day, so that was really quite um, hard and I felt very alone and um, anyway, yeah, it was yeah, just a young, young daughter at home as well going through that and trying to process that would have been really tough. Yeah, and I was home alone, you know, miscarrying and all that sort of stuff, so it wasn't very um, nice. And then what happened then was I um, I just went, right, I'm going to keep going. And this the it took another year or so to get pregnant oh, wow. again. And what happened was I kept trying and it didn't work and kept trying and didn't work. And because I did, you know, I I had to go through the whole process because I'd never have that many eggs. Like I'd have two and another two and I'd just keep putting the two in. Um, and then and then I'm like, I don't, I, like I started to get nervous and scared that it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and so I, I took myself to the, off to this Chinese doctor um, on St Kilda Road and um, she took one look at me and my body and just said, you need to have a break. You need to do what I say, stop for three months. Yeah. And that was really hard. It was really hard. And she said, look, I really believe that this is what you need to do. Because um, they talk about, you know, even the, the colour of your period and all that sort of stuff. My system was just full with drugs and, mm. and it just like it just wasn't happening. 
So I did, I'm like, oh, but I'm getting older. But she said, look, it's the best thing to do. So I did that and I followed her protocols for three months and then I tried again and then I got pregnant with my son. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so he's now 11. Uh, And then I tried for a third and um, by this stage I was uh, 43. Yeah. Um, And then I just ran out of steam really (laughs) and money. Yeah, well, you went through a lot just to get the two of them. That would have been quite an expensive journey. Yeah, yeah, and and it was a big jump too from the first from Lana. Lana was um, a cheaper credit card baby to the second. <laughs> it cost a lot. Do very very wanted. I'm sure yeah. you remind them of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a joke. And so, with the two pregnancies that you were successful with, how did you find those? Um, fine. I love being pregnant. Um, and, and the other thing is some people find even the treatment, you know, like I can't do it again. I couldn't go through it. I never had that. Like, I just go, this is a pro like, it's like, I just treated it like a project. Like I have to go through stages and some of the stages can be a bit painful. I'm going to get a bruised tummy, whatever's going to happen. But I was lucky because I didn't get all that mood. I wasn't particularly more moody than other times or, or anything like that. Uh, and then the pregnancies were pretty easy, really. So, um, yeah, I liked being pregnant. I thought it was pretty cool. And then birth, did that go quite well as well? No, not really. No. So I um, I had that, that Braxton Hicks things that went on a week. So I had this dream time being pregnant with my first baby and then um, a week before I had her, uh, I would I would have contractions all night, seven minutes apart, oh. and it was really pain. The, the the hardest thing was that you just couldn't sleep, so it'd wake you up all the time. So by the time the labour happened, I was really really exhausted. Mm. Um, and the other thing I did that I probably wouldn't do again was they're both about two and a half weeks late, and. Um, I have more insights on how quickly babies can die and deteriorate, um, which I didn't really understand. So I don't think I would have held on that long. I just had this idea that the baby comes when the baby wants to come and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't think I would have done that again. So um, there's not many people at um, that age that would have been able to go even past full term, let alone two weeks late. So Yeah, exactly. And um, And then what happened... Uh, I um, went into labour and it lasted 36 hours and and then she got stuck sideways and they, <laughs> probably too much information, but they, she got stuck so they decided to push her back up again. Ow. Um, and then do a Caesar. So, yeah, and then Flynn, um, he's, yeah, he, he was very, very stressed and it's, ironic or well, not so ironic it's actually um lines because he he gets anxious and stressed now even he and he was in utero as well so they another caesar mm. but that's all right it's it was it's fine um it's just a bit you know um you have this dream of you know having these babies in a certain way but once you get the babies it's just like yeah yeah whatever it doesn't matter I've got these beautiful beings as long as you're out and you're healthy it's fine yeah exactly 
And so how did your mum react? I know that you were nervous about how she would um, be with you having a baby on your own, given that she's a strong Catholic woman. How did she react to you going this journey? So um, when I had that first meeting at Melbourne IVF, mm-hmm. um, I came out into the gardens, the Fitzroy Gardens, and I was very excited because I decided that I was going to do it then and there. And I rang her to tell her, and she said, well, well, I thought you wanted to find, you know, a lovely partner, a man. And then I said, well, mum, I'm near, I mean, I'm heading towards 40 and it hasn't happened. And maybe I'll find someone after I have the baby, to which she says, oh, who'd want you and a little baby? Oh, <laughs> oh mum. <laughs> and I don't think she meant it like that, but she was just processing going, well, it's harder to find a part, you know, a partner when you're a single mum, I think is what she was thinking. But it was quite funny. She was quite direct. Um, and then she found it very hard to tell people. So I got upset about that because she was the avid golfer. She she had made about nearly 44, oh. um, the last of the nine kids. And so she was playing golf um, and all her other, you know, she already had, I don't know, 18 nieces and nephews by that stage and, sorry, grandchildren. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, shared it to the rooftops, but she didn't with mine. Ooh. And it was because she didn't have the tools. It wasn't, not even the judgment. It was, wasn't there. She loved me and was supporting me, but she didn't understand it and she didn't know what to say to people to explain it. Yeah, well, especially if it was still illegal at the time. It's not something you could easily. Yeah, but, yeah, but not even the people would even that, but just the whole, you know, I don't know, there's the stigma around it. But it's the ironic thing is the people who did find find out didn't find out through her and they're the one they were congratulating her and really happy and all that sort of stuff so um yeah it was just it was a just a different experience because she didn't really know how to cope yeah did you find that she was really supportive once you had the kids like did you have a good support network around you um and that's another thing that was one of my big messages to everybody support comes in every different shape and size and your your idyllic idea of the family around you giving you all, all the support often doesn't happen. I've heard that from a few people. Some people are lucky like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my eight brothers and sisters are all much older than me and they're over it, like babysitting or helping. Like it's just not, didn't happen. I just thought everyone would go, oh, yes, we want to help. And nah, nah, nah. <laughs> um, but other people did. So I ended up with Lana. Uh, I had to two flatmates and one was a really good friend and she was amazing like if if I couldn't get the baby to sleep she'd be there you know um super nanny burping the bub and whatever and she's still a very good friend to this day and she uh like she she took the kids on the weekend it's my birthday coming up to make sure that they bought they've bought me birthday presents well she's bought them she does she takes them shopping on mother's day so that they buy all the mother's day stuff and she takes them on, you know, sleepovers so to give me a break. So so there's people around you who you just don't know who's going to help you. Mm. And so it's just to be to be open to getting support, um, even if it's not who you think yeah. is going to give it to you. Like I, I had um, the two kids and Lana started prep and I fell down these stairs on the first day of prep holding the baby. So I tried to protect the baby. So I broke my ankle in three places, very bad. Oh. And so I couldn't walk and I had this tiny baby and a, a little preppy. Well, you should have seen the people who came to my house with food and 
someone took the kids for a weekend and I, I hardly even knew her. Like she's beautiful oh, in my networks, yeah. but she had young kids and she said, you know, she just came and took them. And so um, I feel very, very grateful for the amazing people in my life who supported me. Oh, yeah. I love hearing that. And I think, I mean, we've met in person now from the, the great Facebook group and the mothers mother's day brunch that was organized for other solo moms by choice and those sort of networks as well can be amazingly supportive for learning from each other about what it can be and tips and tricks and stuff as well yeah yeah exactly and everyone's got amazing stories and do it differently so you can just it's like just be a sponge taking all the information and decide what's right for you yeah and so you've obviously said that you've met the donor now what was that process like and did and how did you go about that? So I always knew that I wanted to meet him. When Flynn was about one and so Lana was uh, three and a half, I sent a letter through Melbourne IVF that they did actually, I don't know, people complain they don't send it on, but they did. Mm-hmm. And I took um, some photos and um, <clears throat> I'm telling you this part because it's an important part of the story. And then a few years later, I'm like, oh, I must get onto it. I really think I do want to meet him. So probably about, I don't know, six years ago, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, I decided that the kids were old enough to, um, well, no, it wasn't even that. I just got around to it six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so I went through birth, deaths and marriages and then I went and had counselling and I had, you have to write your reasons for wanting to meet yeah. Um, your long-term goals and your short-term goals and then he has to do the same and then they contact him and see if he does want to meet you and um, yeah and he said yes straight away not great um, but what had happened is uh, remember I said I, s- I sent that letter with the photos mm-hmm. I had photos of the kids and their names and I've been in the media a little bit for being a solo mum and also um, like property investing and all sorts of stuff and business. Yeah. So he Googled Maureen Lana Flynn. So he found us years before. Ah. On the and internet. He can't, he can't make contact and he, you directing it, isn't it? Yeah. And he said, I just knew that it was not the right thing to do to contact you because it's not following the rules. And so I really respected that. But I can understand him Googling to find, you know, you as you do. Okay. So he was sort of following our journey, really, mm-hmm. um, which was, yeah, interesting. So then we decided to meet at the Botanical Gardens and at the um, Ian Potter Gardens. And, you know, I was running late on the day and I've got, you know, the kids and I'm like, oh, huffing and puffing and, we race up, he's there waiting for us, and I'm racing there with the pram and Lana's running beside me and then we we turn up and and Lana, she would have been, I don't know, seven or something at the time, just takes one look at him and says, um, you've got grey hair. Your profile said you got you had brown hair. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that was the opening um, line. I'm like, oh, yeah, pleased to meet you. So that was that was quite interesting. And then I took photos on the day and it's really interesting because he's sitting next to Flynn and they're both smiling but their body is positioned the same way and their hands on the same knee and they tilted the head the same way and it was really creepy. It was wow. like, wow. It's funny how genes play a big part. 
Um, so, yeah, and then, then at that time he said, I've actually met um, another woman who's another single woman who's used my sperm as well. Uh, and so he told me about her. Uh, and so now all of us catch up. We do a Christmas thing together and we did um, mini golf, I think, at the start of the year as well. So her son is my son's age. Okay. Yeah. Had the laws so changed by then or did she have to do something? Um, no, the laws had changed by that as by then as well. So soon after I had Lana. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's quite nice to, you know, um, to share that with somebody as well. Do you think from what you went through making contact with them in the first meeting, there's anything you'd do differently or any advice you'd give anyone? Because as kids are getting a little bit older, people will be considering reaching out. Um, I think just try and have no expectations of um, whether the person, if they're not ready, they're not ready to see you or to meet you. So be be ready, prepared for that. Um, but also this is just about somebody who had good intentions to help you. And, and so my advice would be to follow the process because it really annoys me when people try and go around it with codes and talk to other people. I just, I, I think it's morally wrong and you, you can play with fire. Because we went, I went to an event one one time. It was um Little Miracles event where we had a lot of um it was the, you know a donor group, mm-hmm. and we had was at the Christmas party and a new person came along. And what happened at that event? They two people found out a woman who had a newborn and another who had a two year old that they had the same donor. Mm. And the woman with the two year old was wrapped, and the woman with the newborn was just overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, so I just don't think you should play with that. And the other interesting thing out there, which is a misconception, is that a lot of donors don't want to be found. And I have a friend of mine who's a donor and he he's living this hellish life at the moment because he wants somebody to actually reach out and contact him. Oh, that's interesting. So he's really like because he asked me or maybe I could get in a group or maybe you could ask for me. And I'm like, I can't, dude. It's like it's just wrong. You've got to follow the process. And then another time um, on a How to Tell seminar, I'll never forget it, a guy who did it years and years ago and has like 24 kids out there um, and it, and they just didn't keep records and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he just he sobs. When you see him speak, it's awful. It's just like, oh, I you know, really feel for him that he's never going to meet any of these beautiful people. Because they don't they can't um, put them together. They can't link them. No, no. So, I, so my advice is to to follow the process, trust the process, um, and do it when you're ready. So don't be pressured to do it just because your friend's doing it or someone says it's like I totally accept people who just go, no, I'm I'm never I'm not ready to. My you know we don't need to. I don't want to do it. Um, and then other people who want to find out straight away. So um, I just think just do what's right for you. Um, and your child. And how did you talk about the donor with the kids when they were growing up? So I got this advice from my mum. So she said uh, back in the old days when kids were adopted, they used to hide it Mm. from people. And um, But she had a friend who 
the mother would all say, oh, you're my beautiful adopted girl and I love you to the moon and back. And it was always part of the conversation, even from, so the, so, and I think that's what they say at the How to Tell seminar, that the best strategy is there should be never a moment in time where the child remembers being told. Great advice. It's just always been part of the story. Yeah, so it's not, so to make it normal, you have to say it from when they're very, very young. So I used to do that, um, you know, my beautiful donor babies and, you know, just, you know, you've got a donor and whatever else. And um, except it backfired one night. Lana was two and I just put her in a new little bed, this tiny little bed, and she's laying in the bed one night and she's just sobbing. And because I've done all this, talked about the donor a lot, and she's like, I want my donor. I want my donor. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what have I done? I've followed the advice. I'm supposed to talk about the donor. And here she is sobbing. She's only two, two and a half. Oh, my God. My... And then I looked over and realised she wanted her doona. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the doona had fallen off the, the new bed. I'm like, oh. <laughs> So I'm psychologically damaged going, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Um, yeah, and my and with schools and stuff, I, I always raise it with the school and with the teachers and the kinder. And, but we're in, we're in Richmond. It's a really inclusive area and there's lots of two-dad families and two mums and all sorts of um, permutations and combinations. So it's never been such a, um, a big deal. And people just go like, you know, when the kids were little, like, where's your dad? I don't have one. So they, they, I think it's good to encourage your kids to work out how they, how they want to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, have a chat and, you know, you can do it, not a role play per se, but, you know, if, 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 if someone at school asks you, what do you think you might say, you know, and just get them to, to think it through um, in their minds. And then it just becomes even a no, like I, a no-brainer. I had a parent-teacher interview student-led conference this afternoon with Flynn and he had to do a family tree for Italian. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not even an issue anymore. Like we just, we see all the other family trees that have two sides. Ours doesn't, you know. It's just, yeah, it's so normal now. Have the kids ever had to deal with any negativity or anything from horrible little children or anything like that? No, I don't think they have. Brilliant. Um, and but they'll go through stages of working it out. I do remember being in Bali, and Lana would have been about five, I reckon. And my friend was there going, "Can you?" We we're in the pool, and she's always been a bit out there, like her mother. And she was talking to some strange woman in the pool, um, talking about how her her dad was from England. And he died in a car accident. And she's making up all this story just to this strange woman who hasn't even asked her where her dad is, but she just wanted to, you know, she was playing with it. So I think that's important too, to just let your children go through their own journey of what they want to say about it. And, you know, do I need to explain it? Explain to the lady? No, I don't. Like, it's just, it is what it is. So I cannot think of one person who's given them a hard time. I just can't think of it. And then the other thing that we've done is we have a tight network of people that we go away with. Yeah. So all those those single parent groups are really great. But what you end up doing with children is you end up hanging out with people that have kids the same age and start to get along. Mm. So you, you start 
to be guided by that. So we've now got our beautiful network where we, you know, there's probably four or five key families that over the years we will go away with. So when they're exposed to other kids in the same situation, it normalises it as well. So I think that's helpful. Um, And I I know a lot of you guys out there are already doing that. Um, Even before we've had kids, I went along to some things just to, you know, feel like I was part of the community. So I think that's another good thing you can do. I know people have gone on little weekends away and they had not had kids yet. So um, prepare them for what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really nice. Where did we go? A whole gap. And someone came along and, and now she comes to things and she's got a baby, but when, or a little, a little boy, but when she, the first time she came, she was just, you know, soaking it all, all up and, and getting an opportunity, a chance to speak to everyone. So, um, and now also like every community, there's weird and wonderful people. And there's some people who's like, oh, the totally different values or they'd never be my friend or you know, freaking weird <laughs> um, or I'm a bit weird, like we're just not. But you've got this really magical thing in common. Yeah. So um, I, I just learn from people and just hang out with the people that, you know, I have yes have similar values and get along with so um yeah because also you're a certain type of person to do it in the first place aren't you to be part of this club takes the adjective used to describe me the most is brave Mm -hmm. brave or strong and I think everyone listening you're very brave and you're very strong and you know you can do this on your own and, or you wouldn't be listening to this amazing podcast right now or any of the other podcasts, would you? No, exactly. no, no. So deep down, you know you can do it. You've just got to, um, uh, you've got to take the leap of faith, I reckon. So having kids that are a bit older, you've obviously been through this for a while. Are there any, any moments along the way that you've thought, you know, this would have been a lot easier if I wasn't single or? I don't know, is there anything uh, that's coming up for a lot of us that have the younger kids that we might need to watch out for? It's just that little um, bit harder. So um, a few things. Just when you, it's really, really shitting you that your two-year-old can't, won't sleep or won't go to bed and it's driving you crazy, mm-hmm. this too shall pass because then, then she will start sleeping and then there'll be something else where she won't shut up or whatever it is that, so it's like, Nature takes care of it. So just when you think you can't take it anymore, it's doing your head in, then they get past that stage and there's more joy and more problems right. that pop up. So I just celebrate like like little things like, oh, my gosh, this is the first time I can go swimming and I don't have to be in the pool with, with the child. Yeah. Woohoo! You know, oh, this is the first time that... Um, they can have a logical argument with me and it's beating my argument. Woohoo! Like, and you just, (laughs) you can, and that happens quite early. So I I think my advice is to, to, when it, when it gets tough, number one, know that it'll pass. Uh, Number two, always ask for help. Please. That's when my mother died. That's what she's, the last thing she said to me before she died, make, just always ask for help. And um, us being certain personality that have done this, most of us aren't very good at asking for help. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, get over yourself. What what are you proving by not asking for help? Seriously, yeah, 
people love helping. People that you're actually making other people feel good by asking for help. Yeah. So like like I think it's a it's a no-brainer. Easier said than done, but I really encourage you to do that. Um lose expectations around those close to you. So your your family and your friends. Like my friend Kaylee always said to me, I'm always willing to help, but you can't have expectations that I always will. Yeah. And how I'll help. So I, I think that's important too. And the other thing my sister said to me when I was thinking about it, I said, but I really want a partner because I want to share the decision-making. And she's like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. She said, we never agree in our decision-making. And it's so hard because, you're, you know, you're disagreeing around stuff and you've got to consider the other person's opinion and it's draining and it's blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Here I thought I was going to have this supportive person by my side to help me with decisions. And it's not like that at all. Often it makes it more complex. So I think be joyful about the fact that if you want to send your child to a private school, you can. You don't have to, you don't have to argue with someone around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to go away for the weekend because you feel like it, you can. If you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, you have the power. And so it's really, really liberating, I reckon, to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. So there's the drawbacks, but there's also all those um, positives around it as well. Yes. I love the way you've summed all that up. That's fantastic. I think that's going to get everyone excited and anyone who's contemplating a boyfriend is going to get rid of them now. (laughs) Yeah, like, um, yeah. Oh, but on that, I'm I'm going to raise that. Um, Don't get to a point, this is is what I did, um, when my life became my children. Mm-hmm. And then I was not giving anything to myself. So what I meant by this is, so I had the kids, and then I didn't have any relationships or any sex for seven years. So um, that's okay, uh, like that was fine. But it came to a point where um, I don't think it's that healthy to do it forever. So at some point, I know, but I was exhausted the whole time, so I don't want to take it back. That's fine. I was just, you know, exhausted for seven years. Um, But but don't chop that part of your life out totally either. So I think it's when the time's right for yourself, but do, yes, you want to dedicate your life to your, your kids, but also make sure that you're doing stuff for yourself as well. I've started doing that by taking annual leave and leaving her in daycare and just having me days. I think that's a per- that sounds perfect. Even if all I do is just like reorganize my wardrobe, still something for me. Yeah, just doing stuff to you know to organize your life or just have a break or you know as you say a day or a half day and also just lose the guilt. Mm. Uh, daycare, childcare is amazing and it's really good for them and. Um, because the other thing I, I had I've got my own business. Mm-hmm. So I went, right, I've got to put them in, you know, daycare from, you know, 8 30 till 5 30, because I've got to work hard. And then and then I realized halfway through, I'm like, I don't actually have to. I'm gonna get them out at three o'clock, you know. So so think creatively around how you can do it as well. I think that's um important. You don't have to do it the traditional way or the way you think you need to do it yeah just do whatever's going to work for you and make you both as happy as possible 
Yeah, and maybe maybe it's not a relationship that you want or a date that you want. Maybe you do want to um, sort your cupboard or go get a massage or, you know, stuff like that. So I know it's hard for people thinking about it right now to even contemplate you being that way, but when you've got this beautiful baby in your life, it becomes your life, doesn't it? But even if it just plants the seed and in a couple of years they start thinking and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make sure I prioritise me again, then that's a good service out of all of this. Yeah, or go to the hairdressers and spend three hours getting your hair coloured or whatever it is. Or even like recently my kids went on school camp, two of them, and it's unheard of that they were going at the same time. Um, so I took myself off to Bali. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did actually. Flynn said, hey, Mum, but you're going four days before I'm going on camp. I go, I know, son, but, you know, <laughs> you've got to make the most of it. Yeah. You do want me to come and pick you up from the bus, don't you, at the end of school camp? He's like, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah. But, it, like, I suppose my final thing to say is um, it is the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And I've done a lot of things. Looking back, is it anything that you think you'd do differently now? Or no. I mean, um hindsight's a you know wonderful thing, isn't it? Um but I could have said, oh look, if I'd started earlier I could have had more or whatever, but I think the way it turned out is right for me. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I really, you, you, you know, you could go along your journey going, well, I could have done that and I could have and this and that. But there's so many parts to the tapestry of your life that I think um, the picture can be just as beautiful in many different ways and just be happy with the picture that you've created. Well, that seems like a pretty wonderful place to end. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Maureen. And I think the, the fact that you've got older kids, there's so much wisdom that you've imparted on a lot of people who are successful or considering this journey, you'll, you will have inspired a lot of people. So thank you so much. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.